0: continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Oh, got oh. it! Got it! Got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it!
1: Is it normally? High fly ball!
0: Deep left field, oh, 27,
1: does it again. For this year. Walsh oh. well, sends it well out to left center field. And it's gone. He went to Jared. Way diving catch,
0: This is Brandon Marsh for Los Angeles Angels Baseball. You listen to All Angels and Podcasts.
1: And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Garcia. So last time we had a podcast, the Angels just got done taking care of the Seattle Mariners up in Seattle, taking four out of five. And I think as a fan base, confidence was really, really high going into the next series against the Kansas City Royals back at Angels Stadium. And unfortunately, it did not play out that way. So let's get into the game. A little quick game summaries. We're going to jump on Instagram Live. We're going to take your questions there. So if you do not follow us already on Instagram, make sure you do that at Halo underscore Haven. Uh, we're going to do that. I've been doing little uh, Instagram Lives on the way home from work. It makes the traffic a lot more bearable. But this time, I'm going to record it and we're going to put it here on the All Angels podcast. So let's get into the game summaries first before we get into that. Like I mentioned, hopes were flying high. Again, after beating Seattle four out of five games, had Noah Syndergaard on the mound for the Angels um, against the Kansas City Royals, like I mentioned. You got to really like your chances there. You would think you would like your chances there. But Kansas City got up early with two runs in the first, and it really did, at that point, look like Noah Syndergaard from New York or Noah Syndergaard from um, Texas. It just it did not seem like the Noah Syndergaard that has been p- pitching very well at home. I think you look at some of his home splits compared to away splits, they are completely two different worlds. But on the good side, he was able to um, settle down and actually pitched a really good game um, from that point until the And the Angels would end up scoring one of the one back um, in the third off a Taylor Ward home run that was his his eleventh of the season. So it's always going to be you know very crucial for the Angels to get his bat going. It has been kind of slow to come back after his injury, after his stint on the IL. But I think it's very obvious by now that you know Otani and Trout cannot carry this offensive load by themselves, even though they tried. And, you know, it worked in Seattle the way Mike Trout was hitting the ball out. It almost worked on Tuesday the way Otani was at the plate, but obviously it cannot be done at least at a winning level without, you know, Ward and then maybe you know, you have a guy that kind of pops up, a different guy pops up every game. Maybe one game it's Brandon Marsh. Maybe one guy or one game it's Luis Ranjifo. Maybe another game it's, um, you know, uh, Stassi. So, you know, you definitely are going to need those top three guys to produce. And then you're going to need help from one other guy during the night. And obviously pitching needs to be on point throughout the rest of the season. But like I mentioned, that cut the lead of two to 2-1. to And everything was going good. Again, Noah Syndergaard really started to calm down after that first inning. And you thought to yourself, okay, now the Angels should be able to take advantage of this Kansas City pitching staff that has not been very good All year long, but in the fifth inning, the Angels do tie it up with Taylor Ward again, getting another RBI as he singles a line drive to center field that would end up scoring Andrew Velasquez to make the score two to two. And like I mentioned before, Noah Syndergaard was pitching very, very well after that initial inning. He ends up giving up another run in the top of the seventh to make the score three to two. But like I mentioned, he looked really, really good. Yes, his pitch count was a little bit up there, but I don't think it was anything that was unmanageable. So the big decision now going in to the top of the eighth was, do you keep Noah Syndergaard out there or do you uh, go to the bullpen where, Let's be honest, depending on who you bring out, it's kind of a roll of the dice. There have been some guys that have been uh, very good in the bullpen, and then there's some guys that have just been um, hot and cold. And you just, at this point, I just don't know if the manager or the other coaches really know what they're going to get, but they end up going with Noah Syndergaard. My thought on it at the time, obviously, you all know what happened. So it's easy to look back at it and say it was the wrong move. I didn't mind. Him coming out for that eighth inning because if he can get, you know, a quick one, two, or uh, three outs, maybe, or even like I said, even maybe one or two quick outs, then it's going to put yourself in a very good position for a game that's possibly at this point going to come down to the last at bats. So at least, you know, one inning isn't or one run isn't insurmountable with um, obviously Trout and Otani in the lineup. But he did give up a lead off single at that point though, at that point, I think I would have pulled the plug. I know Nevin has said he likes his um, bullpen guys that have clean innings. And if that's the case he had, he should have bought him in for the eighth inning. But if you're going to let Noah Syndergaard go out there, I think you have to have in the back of your mind that a backup plan, a, a plan B You get him out there, you let him go. If he gets it, he gets it great, but you cannot be caught flat-footed and not have a guy warming up in the bullpen and just in case something happens. I know you would like your guy to have a clean inning, but it doesn't always work out that way. At that point, I would have really um, benefited or I would really, really, really liked have him make a move at that point. Andrew Benatini, the one who got the leadoff single, ended up stealing a base, his first base of the year. And that's been a big issue with Noah Syndergaard all season long. And people want to talk about catchers and the fact that everyone's running on the Angels and the and the catchers can't throw anyone out. You honestly look at a Noah Syndergaard pitch game. Anytime there is a stolen base, it is a 100% on the pitcher. You see the leads that they're getting. You've seen the jumps that they're getting. I don't care. I mean, you can name the best defensive catcher in the history of baseball, I don't know, Pudge uh, comes to mind with his arm, like he could be back there and it wouldn't matter. Noah Syndergaard has had a real, real big issue with that throughout the season, controlling the run game and just giving his catchers an opportunity to throw out uh, base runners. But he just has not been able to do that at a a good level. And that's unfortunate for the catchers because I think, you know, catchers have a stat where it shows how many people have stolen bases on them. And honestly it should probably go to the pitchers as well, because um, if your pitcher takes forever in delivery or just never looks back the guy to first base and he gets pretty much a walking start, like Gubasa said during, during the game, then that shouldn't be on the catchers that should be on the pitchers. But needless to say, the all of a sudden now you have the next, uh, the next guy at the scoring position. Well, that would be, you know, kind of the nail in the coffin because I don't know at that point if Syndergaard was so focused on Benettendi at second base. He does end up striking out Bobby Whitman. The very next at-bat, you have uh, Salvador Perez. A guy that I believe will be a future Hall of Famer, not just because of what he does uh, back there as a catcher defensively, but a guy that has produced offensively, especially on the catching position. That's kind of like a you know a curve a little bit. Has done very very well. He's won a World Series. He's been to two World Series, and he definitely comes up clutch in this game, hitting a home run now, making the score five to three. At that point, they changed pitchers. You had Jaime Barea come up for Noah Syndergaard, but the way the offense was really struggling to, to put runs across, uh, that was it. The Angels would lose 6-2. So if Noah Syndergaard did get lifted or didn't get lifted in the beginning of that eighth inning, at, you know, again, looking back at it, it might not have been mattered because they were not able to get a run across either way to tie the game at three. But um, definitely Noah deserved – kind of a bender, better ending the way that he was able to work through that first inning and and write this shit. But it didn't happen. Like I mentioned, Angels would lose 6 to 2 in the series opener against against Kansas City, a team that honestly the Angels should have swept. I mean, you're talking about a team that has in last place of the division, have a lot of young guys that are not necessarily ready. You know, they they have a mixture of young guys and a mixture of old guys, but it just does not seem their pitching is at the caliber that they should be holding the Angels at two runs. And unfortunately, that was kind of the theme um, during this game was that just not understanding how the Angels were only able to score two runs in that game. So going now to Tuesday's game, which um, kind of ended up being the complete opposite of the first game. You had Reed Detmers on the mound, and he really, really struggled and we'll talk a little bit later about him being sent down to AAA and what I think that means for this team moving forward and obviously kind of what um that means for Reed moving forward as well but again he struggled very very much and I don't know what it is about the the pitchers in the Angels um you know in majors I don't know how it is in the minor leagues or how they're how they're beginning innings are, but it just seems like the Angels pitchers have a real hard time getting out of that first inning, and if they do, they're good. They can kind of, you know, you kind of feel like they're going to have a really good inning, and that's something that uh, Reed also struggled with because he did give up a run very early in the game with Bobby Witt hitting a home run to make the score 1-0. And, this, and the crazy part, too, that home run, yes, it was on a full count, but the thing was it was with two outs already in the game at a certain point you know Bobby Wood Jr. a guy that I think everyone knows who he is because of the big hype coming up through the minor leagues you kind of have to I don't say bend to it but you don't want to make a mistake to him because he can't take you deep and if you walk the guy it's not a big deal there's two outs you can come out and get the very next guy um but yes it, it just did not seem to click right for um for Detmers, you know, since, since, honestly, since the no hitter, I don't know if it's a arm thing as far as maybe that no hitter took too much out of a young arm. I don't know. I don't know if he needs more rest or, or, or what, but I think the hopes were very, very high for myself included for Reed Detmers right after that no hitter. And and I'm not saying that he can't get there or he can't get better, but obviously something's going on. If it's something as simple as confidence, I don't necessarily know how you build that up in uh, AAA Salt Lake. If you know anything about that league, the PCL, you know whether it's Salt Lake, Albuquerque, Vegas, you know there are some very, very hitter-friendly ballparks in there, and that could be having nothing to do with the pitching and everything to do with the with the ballpark. So if you're trying to build confidence into Reed Detmers, I get it. It's probably not the best thing to let him get beat around in the major league level, but unless he's absolutely on down in triple a, there is going to be balls that should be fly outs in the major league uh, uh, park that are going to be over the wall. And that's just the way the PCL works. You know, a lot of the stadiums are up in pretty high elevation. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does over there in in AAA Salt Lake. Is it just a confidence thing? Is it a mechanics thing? Do they work on this? Do they, what do they do? So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that with the team and how it's going to look going forward the Royals would score another run in the top of the second, making it two zero and keep on adding onto that in the second inning. By the time the inning was over, it was three uh, zero Royals. And obviously at this point, a lot of people were kind of thinking uh, offense, you know, has been struggling again, not a ton of offense up in Seattle. Yes, they won four out of five games and yes, it was great to do that. But when you look at it as a whole, very few runs were scored and, Almost none of them were by people not named Mike Trout. Um, I think Suzuki was responsible for two for two of those runs in, in the weekend, but everything else was Trout. You know, was Trout was responsible for. So, yes, they could score back, but you're kind of hoping that you know other people step up, not just Mike Trout. The Royals would end up scoring. Um a couple more, making it 5-0 Finally, the Angels get on the board in the bottom of the fourth with a Jared Walsh home run. Unfortunately, it was just a solo shot, so it made the score five to one. But it was good to kind of see the team starting to kind of um pick pick at the lead a little bit, not waiting for such late innings. Um again, that was in the bottom of the fourth, but in the top of the sixth. See, that's the one thing. I've said that I wish the angels did more and I, I, and I know it's something that every team wishes they can do regularly, but you know, there's something about scoring runs in multiple innings, not just having the one big inning. There was times at the beginning of the, of the season where it seemed like the angels would score like seven runs in one inning, but then get shut out the rest of the game. And yeah, they might've won the game, you know, seven to four or anything like that. But it just was always kind of concerning to me about, um, them not being able to add more on as the game goes. When you have a team like Kansas City that is just kind of picking and poking, getting one here, two here, you know, that that stays contagious. You know, like maybe they didn't score again in the next inning, but they scored in the fifth and eighth and, you know, it just kept on adding up and that's exactly how this game went. Again, they ended up scoring another run in the top of the sixth and make it six to one Kansas City. But in the bottom of the sixth, Shohei Otani, who had an absolute great game, and I'm not even talking about Wednesday yet, but Tuesday at the plate, he had an absolute great game. He ends up homering a three-run shot to bring the score from from, uh, 6-1 to to 6-4, so now Angels definitely in scoring position as far as, you know, a bloop and a blast. You hear that all the time, bloop and a blast. So 6-4, and then Stassi would come up, get another RBI. His, now the score would be 6-5, and you kind of felt, again, the whole contagious thing going. Now that the Angels are able to put multiple runs and in multiple innings, it's the same thing. It's kind of, it's contagious. Once one thing seems to be going right for the Angels it all seems to be going right. And that's kind of been the story of this season is like, you just need to kind of get that ball rolling. And that's what happened in this game. But the pitching for the angels, which up to this point, even with that loss on Monday had done a very, very good job. But again, Detmers really, really struggled in this game. He ended up only going five innings, giving up five runs, walking to six strikeouts, two home runs. So obviously the, the, the swing and misses is there. It just seems like also the home runs are there too. And that's very unfortunate because, you know, he does need to be a little bit around the strike zone to um, get those guys to swing and miss on that curveball. If you never throw that for a strike, then you're never gonna get that swung at when it's a ball. So so we'll see how Reed reacts to being sent down to triple A. Um, Andrew Wants came in the game right after him, and again, he had a bot called on him that I think really did change the, the trajectory of this game. I did not see it. I don't believe he did balk. I think umpires just all have their own kind of definition of it. And it's kind of upsetting that what is a balk for one ump might not be for the other or vice versa. I just, it didn't seem that it, it just it felt like it changed the trajectory of the game because an RBI came out of it. And when you have a game like this, that was determined in extra innings by one run, something like that can mean so much to a team. And that is very unfortunate for uh, not only the angels, but for Andrew, because I'm sure he felt like he made the right pitch. He got a strikeout, but because of that, he had a pitch to the guy again and it did not work out for him. But like I mentioned, all that happened in the six and with Otani and uh, Stassi in the bottom of that inning, they did their job to make it a 6-5 game. But in the top of the seventh, again, with Andrew Wants on the mound, he ends up giving up a double to Bobby Witt Jr. and allowed Andrew Benatendi to score. But in the bottom of the seventh, <laughs> Shohei Ohtani. You know, last series, it was all about Mike Trout. And I feel like this series is all about Shohei Ohtani. He ends up getting a sack fly to cut the score to one again and still In the bottom of the seventh, you had Jared Walsh hit another triple to score Taylor Ward to tie the game at seven in the bottom of the seventh. And all of a sudden now, you had the thoughts of another cycle for Jared Walsh. At this point, after that triple, he had a home run, triple, double. So you're thinking... All the hard stuff is done. All he needs now is a single, and the way these offense were going back and forth in the bottom of the seventh, you felt like he would possibly have another opportunity at the plate during the game. In top of the eighth, again, Kansas City just kept on poking and, and picking, and were, ended up getting runs across the board this time with a Carlos Santana single to make the score eight, seven They to their credit. They never went away. Even after blowing a five run lead, they did not give up. And, um, the angels pitching staff did not exactly make it, hard for them. It felt like Aaron loop who gave up this RBI in the eighth has been definitely struggling from the beginning part of the series uh, season to now. And that's just for a guy that you had such high hopes for coming into the season for what he did last year. You just hope that I've always talked about it with relievers. There always seems to be like a cliff where they go, they go, and then they're down. And you just hope that it's something minor, and he's able to bounce back to what he was in the beginning of the season and not something that is going to obviously be hanging around for the rest of this season um, coming out of the bullpen. So at this point, the Royals were up 8-7, to seven, and they would add two more runs in the top of the ninth off a of Bobby Witt Jr. home run. Again, his second home run of the game, making the score 10-7. to seven. At this point, you're kind of hoping for um, – Kind of a a small miracle, but Shohei Ohtani uh, performed that miracle, and he capped off a great day at the plate with a bottom-of-the-ninth home run three-run shot to tie the score with Taylor Wade and Trout on base. So now you have 10-10, bottom-of-the-ninth. Ohtani single-handedly kept this team in the game, scoring eight RBIs, Two off of home, or um, he had two sack flies and two home runs. This guy has has gone through a little bit of a cold streak here and there. He had a little bit of a cold streak during his time in uh, Seattle while Mike Trout was carrying that team. And it seems like he has found that swing that he needed. And he honestly needs to help this team win games. But unfortunately, it did not win a game for the Angels that night on Tuesday night because in the top of the 11th Whit Merrifield would end up doubling in the ghost runner to make the score 11 to 10 they added up one more run that royals did to make it 12 10 and that angels would be able to get one run on a sack fly from Shohei Ohtani to be his eighth RBI but unfortunately in the angels fall short you know 12 to 11 and it just seems like one game they have the pitching going but not the offense and now they have the offense going and not the pitching and to Shohei's credit, and I think this is this kind of person he is, he felt like he could have done more. And I don't know how you could he could have done more. You look at his at his box score for this game; he went three for four, two runs again, eight RBIs, and two home runs, his 14th and 15th of the season. But it just did not seem to work out pitching wise for the Angels. Like I mentioned, Detmer struggled. Andrew Andrew Wants had uh, Andrew Wants had a call that I felt changed the trajectory of that outing and maybe his outing totally. Uh, Archie Bradley was fine. Aaron Loop really struggled again. Jimmy Herget, a guy that has come to be kind of captain clutch for the Angels right now, um, did end up giving up a couple runs. But it did seem like also he was something was wrong and and ended up being something wrong with her. Get ended up going on the I.L. on the next day. So the Angels now go into Wednesday night to hopefully at least get one victory in this series and not get swept. It was also the anniversary of the of the two thousand and two. World Series, the 20th anniversary. So they had a lot of the guys there uh, that played on the team or were on the coaching staff for the team. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, uh, you know, talking about the the pregame festivities, it was cool. It was cool to kind of see some of those old guys and and kind of reminisce a little bit. I felt like the Angels could have done more. and I tweeted it out. Um, when they had the 2002 big numerals on the infield, I just I don't know why. Maybe it's the time of the year that it is right now, and having family members kind of go through it right now, it just it just had a lot of graduation vibes to it, kind of like that. And and I just felt like they probably could have done more. But at the same time, you had to worry about quick cleanup before the game. It was cool to hear the guys talk. It was cool to hear some of the stories. But you know. Th- something that really kind of stuck out to me in the pregame um speeches especially the first one by Darren Erstad he kind of talked about the different leaders in that clubhouse and how they did it differently and if you listen to my past podcast with Sam Blum from The Athletic that's one of the questions I asked him as far as who's the leader in this clubhouse and if you listen to the pregame speech. Um, by by erstad it seemed like they had a guy for everything they had a couple guys that would get in your face and be intense and call you out they had a guy that was nice cool and calm when needed to be there's a guy there that, that to to pump you up to you know build your confidence like they had a guy for all of that stuff and it, it to me you always kind of knew it, it that that clubhouse was really really good but now i don't know why but it clicked so much more for me when he was talking about like yeah it makes total sense why that clubhouse was so special because you had this guy doing this and this guy stepping up to do that where now with the angels now, and I talked about it with Sam. Like, I don't know if there's a guy that would get in their face. I don't know if there's a guy that will um, rattle cages or anything like that. And I feel like that has to come from the player side and, and you know, It doesn't make them bad players, but sometimes I feel like guys, and I understand it, everyone wants to be liked, and I think sometimes there's a lot of guys on the Angels that just you know are cool guys to hang out with that want to be liked and are honestly probably pretty cool guys to hang out with outside of the field, and maybe no one feels comfortable just, and lack for a better term, maybe someone on there needs to be a dick, and just like, I don't care if you like me or not. This is what needs to be said, and then that guy goes out there and backs it up. It just you know, you look at some of the older guys that were on the team for the angels in the O2 world series. And it just, I look at some of them I'm like, yeah, I can see he's just kind of a guy that's like, yeah, I'm here. I don't care, whatever. And, but it's like, not that he didn't want to be there, but it was more like, uh, you know, just that rough, rough, rough around the edge, edges type of guy that it's like, yeah, he would have been, he's gritty. He's in your face. And it's just like, I don't know if I get that vibe from anyone on the angels, but The O2 guys that were there was cool. They had a handful of guys to come up into the booth throughout the game, which was really cool to talk to them. Um, But, yeah, it was cool to see a lot of those guys. And and I just want to say why did it take so long to get most of these guys out to Angel Stadium? Does it have to happen every 20 years? Why can't there be something going on more regularly to – to talk about certain players that had to do with the angels, um, history. And obviously with the O2 world series, that's the best part of angels history. And it just kind of sucks when you look at it and it was like, Oh wow. It took 20 years to get, you know, these guys together. Why not sooner? Why not every year? Why not? I don't know. Just why not do more? I feel like there can always be done more. And it just sucks that I had to wait 20 years to see so many guys from that team on the field at one time. Um, uh, there's a couple Troy gloss looks like he can still play Troy gloss probably out of the whole group looked like he could still go out there and play third base and the angels might might need him soon but uh yeah it was great to see those guys it it brought back a lot of memories and um I wish I wish they could have done more I wish um they gave them more time to talk obviously the 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 speeches kind of went long and the game got delayed. I wish they would have started that a little bit earlier, and I know it's because people had to file in. I honestly, I honestly wish they could have done that on a Saturday. I know that I do it on a weekday to get more ticket sales on a day that probably wouldn't sell a bunch of tickets because of the midweek start, and you're trying to get revenue whenever you can. But I would have loved to see that on a Saturday where you can have people get there early and fill up the stadium early for something like that. The only thing that sucked was like when they were showing – You know the players and stuff like that, and you saw the the stands in the background. It didn't look crazy amount of field. Like, yeah, there was a good amount of people in the lower bowl section, but man, you do it on a Saturday. You started the game at seven, and you let this start at six, and you let these guys talk and do all that stuff, and have like a a really good speech. I, I I really wish they would have done that and gave them more time and did it on a Saturday, so this so that place can be sold out and rocking before the game when those guys are out there the way that they deserve. I just, yeah, I just, that would be my biggest thing. Do it on a Saturday. I know you're going to lose some money because it's not on a Wednesday, but do it on a Saturday. Let that place fill up because people are off of work and can get there at a good time and get a little tailgate in, get a little rowdy, get, you know, get loud for those guys that deserve it. And the guys that single hand, those guys single handedly brought the angels franchise, the best moment, that franchise has ever seen. I wish I, I kind of think they deserved more than what they got, but to each its own, hopefully they do more with those guys throughout, you know, the rest of the history of the angels. And, and obviously uh, we don't wait till a 40th anniversary to do something for those guys, because no matter if the angels win another world series in one, two, four or five years or whatever, that's always going to be the first world series in franchise history and it should always have a special place regardless of what happens in the next handful of years regardless of you know the angels win you know five more world series in my lifetime that first one should be the most uh, cherished and valued one out of all of them so let's get to the game obviously the lineup was a big point of conversation going into the game with Jared Walsh not playing and with Mike Trout not playing. But with Shohei Otani on the mound, you knew it was very capable for him to carry the team. Obviously, offensively, we saw what he did the night before, but also on the mound. And that's exactly what Shohei Otani did. He was absolutely dominant on the mound. And this game was tied 0-0 for the longest time until David McKinnon, past guest, of the All Angels podcast. If you remember, he got called up this last weekend out in Seattle, comes to the plate, ends up hitting a sacrifice fly that would score Taylor Ward and make the score 1-0. Um, his first RBI of of his career, his major league career. So congratulations, David. He was not done, though, and we'll get to that in a second. But with the Angels up in the fifth inning, you felt like that was enough because Shohei was, had it absolutely working. You go on Baseball Servant and you look at his whiffs rate. You look at his usage. You look at what was working. Everything was working for him. He was probably the most dominant I've seen in a while, and that includes the near-perfect game against Houston and then obviously the two outings against Uh, Boston where he uh, really controlled that game. But this game to me was something special. It was something that you felt he was going. You love to see the emotion out of him when he was getting strikeouts. I mean, this guy uh, is uh, unicorn is a perfect, perfect word for him. I don't know how else you would explain him, but unicorn is definitely a perfect word for him. Um, The Angels would end up getting a little more insurance while they scored an extra one when Luis Ranjifo, Double down the line to score Andrew Velasquez from first base. Andrew Velasquez got a very good read on it. He scored all the way from first base, like I said, showing off his speed. So, again, 2-0 Angels. And in that very same inning, David McKinnon would come up, go the opposite way, getting his first MLB game. Hit and driving in another run, making the score 3 0. So, again, congratulations, David McKinnon, on your first major league hit. Hopefully, this is more to come. Hopefully, he's finally going to be able to get one over the wall like he did in Triple A Salt Lake. But again, with the score 3 0, Shohei was absolutely rolling. He would end up going through the seventh inning. And at that point, I believe his pitch count was around 94. 95, it was mid nineties. And the big question was, was he going to come out for the eighth? And people were warming up from what I remember. But the question was, was he going to come out? Was he going to come out? Comes out, comes out later uh, during the press availability that he very much said, I'm going out there. This is mine. And you love to hear that from a guy like Otani. He ends up going into the eighth inning. Um, and then again, nothing changed. <laughs> Nothing changed for Otani at all in the eighth inning because he gets out there. He goes again, one, two, three, with two with two ground outs and a strikeout to end that eighth inning. And you saw the emotion from Shohei Otani right after that strikeout. So his line ended with eight innings pitched, two hits. And those two hits were early in the game. Again, he got... Not, I don't want to say touched up, but I believe one of those hits and his walk were in the first inning, but he was able to get out of it. And then, just like so many Angels pitchers, once they get out of that first inning, if they come out unscathed, they seem to find a rhythm. And that's exactly what happened. He goes, again, eight innings, two hits, one walk, career-high 13 strikeouts, and a, now lowered his ERA to 2.90. Otani was an absolute beast on the mound. He carried the team. You know, you felt like when that one score – Ran, uh, when that one run scored in the fifth, that was all they were going to need the way he was pitching. You had to pair come in the ninth, a uh, nice clean inning for him with a strikeout, but obviously the man of the hour, the man of the series, even though Angels were only able to win this one game, was Shohei Otani, because no player in Major League history has had eight RBIs in one game and in the very next game pitch and get 13 strikeouts. Obviously, there's a ton of things you can say about Otani with like history and stuff like that. The first guy to do this, the first guy to do that, but it's just unbelievable how this guy has been for the angels. The last couple of times through the, through the rotation, the slump buster, whether it was, um, breaking that 14 game losing streak, whether it was, you know, obviously losing or winning after a two game losing streak against him. He has time after time answered the bell and has shown that, you know, that MVP last year was not just given to him just because he's doing something that no one's ever done. He's doing it at a very, very high level. And you have to think now with his numbers starting to come around now, pitching and offensively, that it's going to be, he's going to be right in that mix again. And if he keeps on pitching like this, he might have the Cy Young MVP kind of one-two punch going for this season. And that'd be a lot of fun to see. But Angels need to start winning more games. And hopefully there's something that comes through, with the Seattle coming back or coming into Angel Stadium for a three-game set. Hopefully the Angels are able to take advantage of that matchup like they did up in Seattle to get this thing rolling in the right direction because for as much history as Shohei's making, you still need to win series, and they weren't able to do that against Kansas City, a team they should have beat more than once in a three-game set. Today's episode of the All Angels Podcast is brought to you by Sports drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drinks is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like Sports Drink without the vowels. So we are now jumping on Instagram Live. And as people come through, I will answer questions uh, and will be obviously on this podcast. So if you're watching on Instagram Live, uh, this is the recording of the podcast. So if you miss something, definitely go on the podcast that is dropping tomorrow. We talk about the series with the uh, Kansas City Royals and just Otani and how crazy he has been. So I'm going to be taking questions on our instagram halo underscore haven so if you don't follow us definitely follow us and be part of the bigger conversation again i love hearing from people getting questions from people on our instagram and our twitter so definitely check it out and as questions start rolling through i'll start answering but the first thing i really want to talk about and i kind of teased it a little bit earlier in the podcast is with reed detmers now going down to AAA. a does it where does this leave the team um with pitchers obviously they've already had a huge issue with that sixth spot in the rotation and that is still going to be a question mark now with detmers getting sent down to triple a now there is two really big holes in this rotation for peep for guys that have come up and done well at times and at other points kind of been a little bit sketchy so now there's going to be two holes in in the angels rotation coming up the fifth and sixth hole. So you just really have to hope that guys like Noah Syndergaard and, and, and Ligaris, not Ligaris, sorry, um, Lorenzen, uh, really step up and are able to pitch well when called upon, because that fifth and sixth spot in the rotation is going to be something that's going to be very interesting to see moving forward. Um, Suarez fifth starter. Yes, he can be, but again, you'll have a bunch of guys, I feel like going through that have had opportunities and, but yet none of them have absolutely taken that role from the other people. So, you know, I feel like unless some of those guys really put like two starts back to back together, that it's going to be a kind of a constant, Rotation of guys, a constant rotation of the back end of the bullpen. Someone on here says Griffin Canning. Griffin Canning is pretty much shut down for the year. He's had a, he's been injured all year. And the idea coming into the season that around the July mark, he would be ready to at least start a comeback. But unfortunately, I believe last month or earlier this month, he had a really big setback. And the likelihood of Griffin Canning or Chris Rodriguez or some of those other guys that, uh, fans were hoping for at the beginning of the year, them coming back and making any kind of serious contribution to this team this year is very, very, very unlikely. So the Angels are going to have to look at guys they have now. And here's a question too, where I'm not necessarily sure what the right move is. Last year you saw they bought a ton of young guys up for two or three starts to see what they have. Do you do that again this year? And, see what certain guys have, but maybe hinder their development a little bit instead of being down in double A and developing with their peers and people they're they're probably more so capable or not capable, but more so um uh peers of, I guess is a lack of a better word, but or bring them up to the major leagues and might get roughed up a little bit, might have a confidence issue afterwards. I, I honestly think you kind of have to go with what the guys you have already Kai Bush has been a name that's been thrown around that people want to see in the majors, and I'm just not ready for that yet. It's the same way I felt about Reed Detmers last year. I didn't think he was ready. It was great to see him out there, don't get me wrong, but I don't necessarily know if he's ready and if it's the best idea to have him out there and when he can be developing and, and you can save him for next year or possibly the year after that. What about the chances of trading for Bumgarner? I'm not interested in trading from Bumgarner, especially what it's probably going to cost is some of these younger arms. I mentioned in the last podcast, the the AA affiliate, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, had a very, very good first half of the season, and that was built mostly on their arms. And I'm just not sure if trading some of those guys that have shown promise for a guy like Bumgarner who is – definitely at the back end of his career and i feel like is very close to maybe falling off a little bit. I don't know if that's necessarily worth that trade. I really like Duffy. He puts really good quality at bats together. And that's one thing too. Duffy has been getting a lot of a slack because of his lack of power, and i understand that in a game where power is king and people really judge individual players or even teams about their power numbers, OPS, home runs, slugging, that stuff. But Duffy has it's is a real old and it's funny too because a lot of people want to kind of talk about let's throw it back to the old school and play small ball and, and do this and do that. But then when you see a guy like Duffy who is playing kind of small ball-ish, where he does put good at bats together, he does put the ball in play, he does have a pretty good batting average, but it's not enough. He doesn't put the ball over the fence. So people are saying let's play small ball, but then you have a small ball top type of guy like Duffy, and all of a sudden he's not doesn't have enough power so is Duffy the answer at third base probably not but for what he is he's you could tell Duffy's not trying to be something he's not and I think that's the biggest deal with Duffy is that he's out there he knows he's not going to hit 30 home runs he doesn't try to hit 30 home runs but he is able to put the ball in play and for a lot of people that's what they want to see but now that it's there it just it doesn't seem to make them happy but um, Duffy is a different type of guy but We'll see how this plays out and how over the long term he is up there in age. He has never played this much in a really long time. Um, how this kind of wears him, wears him out. Um, could Adele, let me scroll back down. Could Adele be traded in a package at the deadline? I think he can be. And then when I talk to, again, go back and listen to Sam Blum, the last interview I did with Sam Blum from The Athletic, we talked about this. And I'll, I'll kind of give you the cliff notes of what we talked about, is Adele could be traded in a package. If you're looking for him to be traded for in a package for a pitcher, it's probably going to be him plus another good prospect for a top-end pitcher that's on uh, the trade market. But if you want to package Adele for a prospect you know or a guy that's a shortstop okay shortstop or an okay second baseman to help there or a bullpen guy then yeah you could probably do one for one for that but he is definitely not the level where you can go one for one with a, a very uh good starting pitcher i don't think he's he's there but he is can be part of that package um I don't see Phil Nevin reaching third or fourth. I don't three fourths of the season. Well, Nevin's going to be. They said Nevin's going to be here to the end of the year. I don't see them firing Nevin. There will be no point in firing Nevin. Now you have like your third option as a manager, and that's not good at all. I can definitely see Nevin not being back next year. I can definitely see that. But I think he's pretty he's pretty solid as far as finishing the season with him as an angels manager Um, when it's Fletch back Fletch is back the earliest I've heard and I read a little bit about it is the earliest he's gonna be back is probably late July so you're looking at after the all-star break but I don't know if that's back to baseball activities which will probably mean he needs to do like some kind of a spring training so you're looking at another like three weeks after that going to rehab starts getting back in baseball shape or if the end of July is with all that already so Again, Fletcher would be the easy part to put at third base, but it just does not seem like he's going to be available until August. So, I guess it depends on where the Angels are at that point of the year. But Fletcher is going to have very little impact on this season, I feel, and that's that sucks because he would be really, really be useful right now as a guy that can play third base. Thoughts on Jeremiah Jackson, a kid that is in Double A, Double A, Rocket City right now. My thoughts about him are the same thoughts I've had of him for about a couple of years now is that he's going to be a guy that isn't going to play shortstop. I think they're playing him a lot at second base. I think he'd do well there defensively at second base. I just – you worry about his strikeout, and that's his biggest thing. It's either great power or strikeout. So you're kind of hoping that while he spends time in AA, which he just barely got sent up there, I think, a month ago. So he's still fairly new to AA and the competition there. And AA competition is really, really good. That's where all your top prospects is going to be. So hopefully while he's there, he can learn to kind of control that Strike zone a little bit more. I still think he's about two years away, but if he's able to control the strike zone better with his power, he'll be a very, very good second baseman for the Angels in the future or a trade piece. But he definitely needs to develop some of his tools down there. He definitely needs to develop that that eye for the strike zone because his strikeout rate at that level is way too high, and now you, people want to complain about the Angels strikeout percentages, you can't just bring up a guy that has been striking out his whole career in the minor leagues and expect that to switch once he gets to the majors. So hopefully he does work on that down there against some really good competition And um, down there in Rocket City. Who would be a potential trade target? I think it's honestly kind of early for that because there is three wildcard spots. There's going to be a lot of teams that are interested in the trade market. And unfortunately, because of the Angels and the system that they have right now, I don't see any other visiting GM or another team's GM sitting around saying, I can't wait to get the Angels phone call because I want this, this, and this player, you know? I, I, I Angels at the trade deadline, I feel like if they're close, I can't really see them making a huge deal, unfortunately, because I think there's going to be so many buyers, and I don't know if there's going to be a ton of sellers. Um, and at least the buyers that are going to be active are going to have a lot better farm systems, and the Angels are going to be able to offer more more than the Angels, and then do you overpay prospect-wise for a guy, or or not? And that's the hard part. Do you this this farm system is finally showing some promise with the championship that the the double A won last week? Now, are you willing to tear that apart for a rental? I guess is the biggest question you have to ask yourself. This 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 franchise who has been notoriously bad in the minor leagues is finally showing glimpses of winning and winning well, winning with pitching. Now are you, at the first sign of that, going to start trading those guys away? I don't know. That's going to be a very interesting trade deadline kind of storyline to kind of look out for. Would uh, Nevin go back to bench coach uh, or find something else? I don't know. That's very interesting. Uh, Nevin was a third-base coach. He was not the bench coach. So uh, I don't know if he would come back to the Angels as a third-base coach or felt like he maybe – I don't I that's a very good question I have no clue that's that's something that really interested interesting to see how that plays out next year thoughts on Rendon even returning to to announced 2019 form after the this most recent injury so Rendon is a guy that is very polarizing I believe with the Angels community for sure and I hate to say it but the Angels are stuck with him you're not gonna be able to trade him away you're not gonna cut him and sit on that 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 money for four years um you honestly just every season have to come out and, and knock on wood and just ask and hope that he's going to be healthy because the angels really can't do much with him. You have to hope that he's able to put at least 130 games together next year. Hopefully this injury, the surgery happened early enough that he can come back and have a full spring training. Again, I know we've talked about this so much as far as hopefully he has a, you know, a good spring training, but for what the contract is for, for him you kind of have to just sit there and every, you know, opening day, hopefully this is the year. This is the year. This is the year that Rendon can be, again, I don't necessarily know if he's going to perform to his contract abilities, but he needs to definitely be hands down the best third baseman on the angels and, and possibly the best third. If he's the best third baseman in the AO West, then I think the angels have something going, but to expect him to be like the best third baseman in baseball I think that that might be past him already, so he definitely is going to be there. He's definitely going to be part of the team, but you just hope that when opening day starts next year that he's healthy and he's able to you know, play 120, to 130 games. Angels have to win against the Seattle Mariners, yes, hopefully for a sweep. If buyers, do we try to find an offensive shortstop and second baseman to make a postseason run? Again, I don't know if you're willing to sacrifice some of those minor league guys now that they're just, now that they're just starting to kind of blossom. That's going to be very, very hard to figure out. Um, Angels will beat Seattle again t- uh, tomorrow night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. Hopefully that's the goal. Of the- and if they sweep, then they're going to be very much into um, back into it. And that's going to be something that I have to look out for. They definitely need to get on some kind of a streak right now. Um, Time to trade Trout. I doubt that. I don't think that's going to happen. A, Trout has a no trade no trade clause. So unless he comes up and tells the front office that he wants to trade, nothing's going to happen with that. And I just don't think Trout is that guy that's going to go up there and request a trade um, right now. So that's going to be something where I, I seriously doubt that's going to happen. Uh, we will be sending him to uh, <laughs> um, Detmer's. Uh, Adele still two threes away from everyday players. Agreed. Demers, I think is more than, I think next year, I think he'll be a solid guy. Adele, I want to say next year for sure, but that has to do more with, um, the pitching thing is Demers can be like a four next year and be in the rotation every single time through with the outfield with Adele. If this Taylor Ward is going to be Taylor Ward for the foreseeable future, there's going to be a log jam at that outfield spot there's not going to be a spot for Adele Um, so that's the thing I worry about with Adele is there going to be a spot for him if Taylor Ward if this is the real Taylor Ward if Taylor Ward continues to perform the way he is and we'll see how that plays out but I I don't I just I don't know if there's a spot for Adele just because that, that, that outfield is very very clustered right now with obviously Marsh um, Ward and Trout I just I don't know if there's a spot for Adele right now and he needs to be a guy that develops and he needs to be playing every single day I, I, I hate the idea of him being a fourth outfielder because I feel like you do him an injustice by hindering his development and not letting him really reach his full potential because he's only going to play like four every four or five days and I think that will definitely hurt the Angels and definitely hurt him in the long run updates on the stadium situation. I have seen zero updates on that stadium situation. So all I know, it's a big mess and I don't see anything happening, finalizing for years and years to come. Cause whatever happens, it's going to be stuck in the courts for, for quite, quite a while. Uh, trade Otani more likely than trout. I still don't think they'll do that. I'll see what happens. I, I'll see what I, I don't know. I don't, I guess the Otani thing is very, very interesting. And we saw, all saw what he can do for the team this last series on Tuesday and Wednesday between his at-bats and his pitching. He's going to be asking for a ton of money, and rightfully so. And I've tweeted this about what kind of team can the Angels build when you have three huge contracts Well, Otani, Rendon, and Trout. You, It's more evident than ever that this team needs to be deeper. And that's why, too, I'm not necessarily sure if you're going to trade some of these minor leaguers that can be really good, you know, contrib- can contribute to this team down the road, and they're going to be cheap. And that's the big thing. You're going to need cheap players if you're going to give contracts to Otani that's going to, you know, be maybe the biggest AAV in baseball history. You're going to need guys to perform very, very well on cheap contracts. And that's what the, the first six, you know, the rookie kind of contracts are. And you can't really build a team with, past you know good past major leaguers on their last leg it doesn't it doesn't work that way so do you trade guys away now for guys that aren't going to be around in two years or do you hold on to those minor leaguers and they're going to play a huge part in what this team is coming to the future and they're going to be cheap they're going to be cost controlled and they're going to help this team with the depth and that's the biggest thing I, i i truly believe depth is built not bought yes you can have a couple guys here and there but for for the majority of a good franchise, a good organization, the depth is built from within, and that could be drafting, that can be picking up you know minor league free agents and developing them. But if you're just constantly going to try to sign major ex major leaguers to minor league contracts and hope that builds depth into your system, I think the Angels have shown that does that doesn't work. So part of me really does hope that the Angels don't really go crazy at the trade deadline and start trading away a lot of these prospects that are going to be good depth pieces as early as next year. We've seen it year in and year out. The team is never fully healthy throughout the whole year. There's always somebody or something that pops up that – can take time away from a major player, but we just never have had a guy that can fill in and do an adequate job to it. You know, maybe not as good as the starter you lose, but it just seems like there's always a huge step back. And I think that's what the angels have really, really missed. They've had star players. They've had good starters, but they just haven't had the guys behind those starters to really feel um, a good organization. And it finally seems like they're doing that. And I just hope that they can hold on to some of those guys that are young and cheap and, build around Trout and Rendon and well I say Rendon because of his contract not necessarily because I think he's a huge uh, centerpiece of the team but just because of his contract and Trout and that's and that's how it's has that's going to have to be the team if you're going to have three contracts like those guys you're going to have to have young good cheap talent and it seems like the angels are finally able to have that in the minor leagues right now does March glove get dipped in gold this year God I hope so he is playing great Great defense out in left field. Uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday's game where he made that diving catch, and they mentioned if you go to Fielding Bible, he is like second or third in defensive runs saved by left fielders. Which, if you're like in the top five of that defensive category, you're gonna get a lot of Golden Glove talk by the end of the year. So, I, I love the fact that there is finally something that defensively you can kind of measure guys against each other you go back to like the the 2000s early 2000s like early even early 2010s there wasn't a lot to measure guys defensively you just kind of have to look at highlights and and you know you can't really calculate distance you know sprinted and else because marsh i think honestly one of his great uh, abilities that people don't s- talk about a lot is this is fact that he can cover tons of space tons of area he can play super shallow and take away those those blue base hits but he's also going to turn his hips and get deep for a, a play at the wall and that's probably honestly that's probably coming from his football background in high school that's a lot of hip turning in football if you ever played football you're always told to turn your hips turn your hips get your hips open and go and that's probably why he's he's able to carry so or cover so much ground and and the outfield. But yes, I really do hope that Brandon gets the recognition he deserves defensively for what he's doing this year. Cause he is playing great, great left field for the angels. So um, that's something I really hope that happens. I do. Cause he, he, he's had a uh, MLB type of glove for the past two years now. And his offense is still coming around. His offense still needs to kind of mature a little bit more and become a little bit more polished. That's for sure. But without question, His glove is MLB ready and MLB elite right now. So um, he's going to find himself, I hope he finds himself in the lineup more, especially against lefties Um, with Lagaris there, I think. And I know what they're trying to do with Lagaris against lefties. And it's kind of proven at this point that it does not work. So hopefully going forward, uh, Brandon gets more at bats against lefties and is able to kind of work through his, Struggles against lefties and and mature that way as well. So, we'll see how that all plays out. But yes, Brandon is doing a very very good job. Thoughts on the twentieth anniversary celebration? I kind of talked about it a little bit in the podcast. And again, um, the full podcast will be out tomorrow morning. Um, all Angels podcast anywhere you get um, anywhere you get your your podcast Apple Apple Podcast Spotify any of that place. So definitely check it out. The twentieth anniversary was cool. I wish they could have done more. I wish it would have been on a weekend. I wish the stadium was more filled at the time of the ceremony. I feel like it was not as filled as much as it could be. If it was a Saturday and you can get more people out there from farther distance to fill up that stadium earlier and not to worry about getting uh, going to work, getting off of work, getting home and changing, and then getting to the ball game, I wish they could have done it on a Saturday. Um, but, you know, it, for what it was, it was great. Now I just wish they would do it more. Uh, honestly, I, 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 they need to do something like this more often with guys from the past and really, like I mentioned, cherish the, the O2 World Series because if they win five World Series between now and my lifetime, that first one's always going to be the first one. They should always hold that one up to a higher standard, even if they go on and win. Like I said, I even mean, if they go and win five more in my lifetime, that first one should be uh, cherished. What's going on with Fletcher? Not a whole lot. I talked about it earlier. Um, Late April, late, not late April, late July is what I'm hearing, but I don't know if that means late July for rehab stints and his little mini spring training. So Fletcher, again, I don't expect him to be a real big contributor to the angels this season. Thoughts on max. I'm guessing Stassi. Um, Stassi is a catcher and it's really hard to find a good all around catcher. You see JT Riamuto, you see, you know, Salvador Perez, um, I feel like there's like a top five catchers in baseball, and you can be like that seventh, the seventh best catcher in baseball. But there's such a huge gap between five and six that is, you know, catching is hard. Catching is very, very physically demanding on your body. So I think Stassi is a good catcher. Obviously, he's not like top five, but it's hard to be one of those top five catchers. That it's there's such a big gap between five and six probably more so than any other position in baseball but he's a good catcher i don't mind him there i don't mind that extension still to this day there's a trade for a middle infielder bullpen fix the team getting healthy stay healthy fix the team um long as trout stays healthy for the rest of the year otani stays healthy for the rest of the year knock on wood yes a middle infielder would help a bullpen piece would help but um you know at the end of the day you know you have to pitch well and this team has shown that they can pitch well they have they're like the fourth they they're like fourth in the league with shutouts which is crazy i did not know that until after the otani started like third or fourth in the league for shutout total shutouts of for the season so this shows they can do it and it shows that the bullpen can hold hold you know zeros on the board it's just so inconsistent and like i said before i don't know if i would want to gamble away my future now that the minor leagues are finally coming together, finally winning, is that is this now the time you're going to trade a lot of those pieces away? I don't know, um, but we'll have to wait and find out. Thoughts on Perry as a GM? I think he's doing a great job with what he has. Um, the Rendon contract isn't his, um, you know. The Joe Madden hire wasn't his. Um, you've seen again, you've seen a lot of the good pitching in the minor leagues starting to develop and a lot of those guys came from this last draft. Let's see what happens, what he does with this draft. Let's see what he does this offseason. Let's see if he brings a contract extension to Otani. I think Perry's legacy, or maybe not his whole legacy, but part of his legacy will come down to what he does with Shohei Otani. Does he resign him? And if he does, is he able to build a winner around him? If he's able to have three absolutely huge contracts on this team and still somehow be able to develop draft and um, have guys around them to make this team a winner, then Perry's is going to go down as one of the best GMs. But I like what he's doing so far. It's very hard to be a GM because you're trying to win now, but also build for the future. And I think that's what he's trying to do. Hopefully with some of the depth issues his team has again, I don't feel like you buy depth. I feel like you build it. And I feel like Perry has put down the foundation to build or build depth through this organization. When you go through so many GMs, is it a visible excuse to say the manager wasn't Perry's hire? Um, Yes and no. But I mean, you go through, let's see, you went through, you have Perry, you have Epler, um, you know, those are the two last two GMs and it's not like you're you're going through GMs every year. I mean, there's been more managers than there's been GMs in the last handful of years. So um, you know, I think Perry, I think every GM, regardless of who they are, they should at least have one hire that's theirs manager wise. And if this next guy doesn't work out for Perry, then yeah, his his he can be on he can be on the hot seat. But I think Perry at least deserves one shot at, to get the managerial position right to have his own guy in there. And if that guy doesn't work out, then yes, now that excuse of the, the manager and all that stuff, it, it, it lands on the GM. But I think when you put a GM in a position like Perry was put in, you owe it to him to at least give him one shot um, to get the managerial position right. And we'll see how that plays out over the offseason. Okay, last question. Got to be a golf question. I see you there. Um, Team Live or Team PGA? I'm just going to say Team PGA to this point just because I have not yet seen a Live tournament. Um, They don't have a nationally televised system yet, so it's hard for me to remember. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to be on. I have to go to YouTube and all that stuff. But right now I'm Team PGA. But they are are getting some big names over there. And I I do want to check out one of their tournaments but there's just something about four game or four rounds, you know, the way the rounds have always been set up, you know, that's always going to be kind of close to me. So right now I'm definitely team PGA. Um, I will stay on here for a little bit longer with uh, you guys to answer some of your questions, but I'm going to wrap up the podcast. So hang on for a second. Um, we'll be back on Sunday night to recap the Seattle Mariners uh, series Again, that, that Sunday starter is a TBD. That was going to be Detmer. So it's going, see, it's going to be really interesting to see who the Angels bring up to be a starter for Sunday. That's So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the All Angels Podcast. Make sure you follow us on our Instagram, Halo underscore Haven, Twitter. Um, obviously, anytime you guys want to send DMs, I am always available and love talking to you guys. So I am Dale Garcia, and this has been another edition of the All Angels Podcast.